Hey, what's up? I'm Natasha Jha. And I'm Simu Liu. And you're listening to Pearls of Wisdom on Cold Tea Collective. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Is this the earliest you've ever had bubble tea? Uh, definitely the earliest I've ever had bubble tea. <laughs> okay. But I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to it. I think I should do it more often. You should. What, mm-hmm. what flavor do you have there? I have the, um, the jasmine milk tea. Ah, and it's very tasty. It's not too sweet. It's just a little milky. It's, it's my favorite. Yeah. Is that your favorite? So do you get it all the time or do you ever switch it up? No, I don't think, well, not a lot of places carry it. So whenever I see it, it always piques my attention. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. I, I, whenever I see it on a menu, I'll order it. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. And the good thing about these guys is that they use like organic teas and stuff. Yeah, too, yeah. Shout out to Buns and Boba. Hey, what's up, Buns and Boba? <laughs> Thank you so much for having us mm-hmm. here today. So, uh, you're in Vancouver right now, but you re- you are actually from Toronto. So you're doing a bit of a tour right now. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to a couple of schools mm-hmm. across North America. What are you talking about? Yeah, huge tour across North America, three schools. Um, so <laughs> I, I did a, I'm speaking, I spoke at uh, UCLA, speaking at UBC today. And um, in a few weeks, I'm going to be speaking back home in Toronto. So the, kind of the, the subject around the talk, I mean, you know as well as I do, it's a really exciting time to be Asian right yeah. now, particularly Asian entertainment, you know. With Crazy Rich Asians and, and how kind of profitable, successful it was at the box office, I feel like just so many doors have opened up. And now, within the community, the primary conversation is, is what the road is that lies ahead. Yes. And it's a very hopeful road. It's a very different conversation than we've ever sort of had. You know, for so many years, it's felt like beating our head against a wall, like trying to figure out, you know, how we can get our stories on screen. And, and you know, we haven't, off, we haven't always seen that path so clearly before us. So now, you know, I think it's, it's great that we have the options that we do, but we just have to make sure that we're all on the same page. Yeah. And, you know, we all kind of are, are a little bit more... Uh, politically minded when it comes to showing up for movies and, and the content that we watch. You know, we want to make sure that for the Asians, Asian Americans, Asian Canadians, just anybody in that diaspora um, who wants more of that kind of content, that they are able to, they, they know where to look for it and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where do you go to get that, that content? Um, your learnings. I mean, there's just, there's so much going on right yeah. now. It's kind of hard to figure out where to draw your attention to. But what, what is actually um, uh, capture your attention? Um, just like, well, spending time in LA, I mean, the, the, the Asian American community in the entertainment industry is just so, so strong and so closely knit. So, you know, for a movie like Searching, for example, yeah. starring John Cho that just came out recently. And it's um, not just the hashtag, folk. It's, it's like actually starring John Cho. Yeah, it's yeah. actually starring John Cho. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he's fantastic in it. It's such, a, it's such an amazing movie. But in, in LA, you know, when it had its limited release, um, you had everybody just buying out theaters. Like John M. Chu bought out a theater. The, so the Crazy Rich Asians people brought, uh, bought out a theater. Uh, Harry Shum Jr. bought out a theater. And, you know, a bunch of their friends in the network as well. So really, if you wanted to watch Searching in LA in its first weekend and you wanted to buy a ticket, you wouldn't have been able to because they just literally had sold out the entire run. Yeah. And I think that just speaks to how, how politically active they are, how much they support each other. And, you know, if I could just... If I could just extend a little bit of that into Canada and yeah. just so that we, we have a little bit more of that uh, a communal sense, then, then I would have, I would consider this talk, this tour a success. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and that being said though, I mean, um, at least in Vancouver, I know I came across a couple of uh, stories where mm-hmm. some of the, the Vancouver-based Asian actors actually did buy like a number of tickets mm-hmm. um, to, you know, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, I'm not sure about searching, but, you know, but definitely Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just to show that support. 
what do you think we can do to unify Canada as a country in terms of like the different mm -hmm. Asian communities to bring that level of support when it comes to Asians in film or media? Yeah, I mean, that's such a multifaceted issue. And there's no, you know, it's not as simple as, as one sentence. Um, I don't know if you guys watched Yappy or you've heard uh, of Yappy. Yeah, Yo, definitely. So in episode yeah. three, this is my favorite episode in the series. I'm not even in it, but in episode three, the main character, Andrew, has to uh, unify all the different Asian constituencies in oh his office. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right, because yeah. he wants to throw like an Asian, like a bigger uh, kind of like celebration party. Um, but because all of the all of the different constituencies are so focused on their own little group, everyone has a little bit of money, and and he's trying he's going around trying to convince people that together they're stronger and they can have a much bigger party yeah. with a karaoke machine and you know everything. And it's such an amazing uh, kind of uh, poignant allegory. Phil has just such a has such a brilliant mind, and he's been he'd been working on Yappy for such a long time. But um, you know, just to distill like that issue into kind of kind of a pretty simple like workplace comedy. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, your question being how do you unify all the different Asian communities within Canada, I mean, I mean, they're so fragmented, we are fragmented, you know, not only by what countries, you know, our families are from, but like how long ago our families got there, what that's generation we are, yeah. absolutely, and depending on that, I mean, your values and your experiences can be so wildly different. Tell me about the Asian community of actors mm -hmm. and producers and directors and writers across mm -hmm. North America. Because you are kind of, you're actually transcending and like crossing borders to, to work yeah. with these different Yeah, well, I mean, when I first landed in LA, the first person that I texted was Ken Jeong. We had just started following each other on Twitter. I had never you met him before him? in my life. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted him. I tweeted him. Okay. And I was kind of <laughs> like, hey, I, I just landed. Like, I don't know anything. Um, but I know that we follow each other, so what, like, you know, do you have any recommendations? Like, what do you, you know, yeah, yeah. do you want to grab coffee? And he responded with a uh, walk-on pass to uh, Sony Studios, where yep. he was shooting Dr. Ken, yes. for the entire production. So he was like, come by anytime, oh. you know, come watch the rehearsals, come watch our table reads, come watch our tapings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just, just come hang out. I want to spend as much time with you as possible. This is Ken Jeong, you so know. Boss. Like the the, the A-lister Asian yeah. actor in Hollywood, wow. um, and I think that just goes to show you how how kind of involved and invested everybody is. And and you know the more people I met, like I'm, I you know I had the pleasure of meeting Randall Park and Daniel Day Kim and and you know Phil Wang from from Wang Fu and and those guys, but they're all just I found that they were all like Ken, like they were all just so giving and so generous. And uh, I think in a very short time, like I've been really, I hope I've been really accepted by, by the community down there. And there are wonderful organizations that do amazing work like CAPE, the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment. I mean, they, you know, they put on like networking events just to make sure that we're all mixing and mingling, getting to know each other so that we're, you know, collaborating on as many projects as we can. They set up networking dinners with like casting agencies in, you know, in major wow. networks. So wow. I was at a dinner with the entire casting department and the diversity department at NBCU, for example. Mm. Just like such an amazing resource and, and, and so important to have like an organization like that. I don't think the communities in, in Toronto and Vancouver are necessarily big enough to have those organizations, but I, I think we're getting there. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to put some thought into, yeah, like what are the moves that we can make as a, as a group, right? Yes. But yeah, I mean, when you look at Asian Bachelor and Asian, sorry, Asian Bachelorette and Asian Bachelorette 2, um, you know, one of the things that stands out is just how many cameos there are, right? There's, you yeah. know, you got Ki Hong Lee and then you got all these amazing YouTubers, AJ, AJ Raphael. Um, you got um, the Sodarso brothers, um, 
In the second one, we had you know Randall Park and Daniel De Kim. Really, again, I think I, I just want to hit home the point that um, you know these guys are 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 invested. They're down. They're they're super, you know, super ready to 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 kind of further the cause. What's really exciting to watch is that, you know, with Crazy Rich Asians, again, all roads lead back to Crazy Rich Asians, but that's kind of the first time that I think it proved to Hollywood and to ourselves that we kind of matter. You know what yeah. I mean? That we can, we can make a, a movie break 200 million worldwide on our own. No, definitely. And it's I think they were very, obviously very strategic in their release dates and in the different countries mm -hmm. that they released in and just to see like that level of support um, and to engage uh, just the, the different populations yeah. um, uh, like across across the world like in that way I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of which um, Let's go back to Yappy for a bit. Sure, okay? yeah. Yeah, so what was that like? And I know you've kind of, you've worked on a couple things with Wong Fu now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what was the experience like? Did you grow up watching um, Wong Fu? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, they were, I mean, they were the Asians on screen in a time where there really weren't any Asians on screen, you know? Um, and this was before, you know, even YouTube. Like, in the infancy of YouTube, we saw, like, the original Yellow Fever um, we saw all of the lip sync videos that they did, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I just something naturally drew me to them because I'm like, oh, they're they're like me. Yeah. You know, they weren't like they weren't like Asian martial artists from China, but they were yeah. just like a bunch of graduates who like to kind of fool around with the camera, and I love that. And um, you know, even today when we go out, you know, they were on their Yappy tour recently. I know they were in Vancouver. They were, yes. But I joined them when they were in Toronto, and then we went to New York together, and. Everywhere we went, I mean, even the fans, the younger ones, the ones that are close to my age, um, those are two different groups, by the way. I'm not that young anymore. No. <laughs> but um, all of them are very vocal about how much Wang Fu has, has inspired them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them even have gone up to Phil and, and straight up said, like, you're the reason why I went to film school. Wow. And that's just so incredible that, that you know, three guys could have had such an, like, a lasting impact on, mm -hmm. on so many people. Definitely. They basically, they, they showed that it was possible for us. So what I think is really great about Wong Fu is that they really did open the doors. And what mm -hmm. I love about them and what I think I personally connect with, and I think you do as well, mm -hmm. is that they actually did it for themselves. Mm -hmm. They weren't waiting for anyone to like knock on their door mm -hmm. or like, you know, give them a wad of cash. They just like, like faithfully just, you know, worked on their craft mm -hmm. and they amassed this like huge international fan base. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Um, so you you know all about doing things on your own as well. Um, you uh, transitioned careers and now you have an upcoming show that you are going to be a showrunner for. <laughs> yeah, so um, I mean really I'm following the lead of people like Phil and Wes and Ted. I mean I, I think you you really hit the nail on the head. I mean they they were kind of coming up in an environment where if they were just to kind of wait for the opportunity to come to them, you know, to wait for the the mainstream success that, you know, that they thought they, they needed, um, it, it just would have taken forever. And so they took, in many ways, the only route that was available to them at the time, which was just to kind of go out and do it themselves. And, and it's something that they've done extraordinarily well, right? So, I mean, today they're, they're two features deep. They've done countless, you know, shorts, web series. Um, and uh, and even a YouTube red show called Single by Thirty, which yeah. is really really uh, you know really amazing. 
Um, you know, for me, I just try to, I bring that to my work every day as well, just because, you know, it, things are changing for performers of color, but it, it's not necessarily where it, where it needs to be yet. Mm -hmm. And so I don't necessarily have, like, for example, I'm not flooded with opportunities in the off season. You know, we shoot, we shoot three months out of the year and for the other nine, you know, there, it, it's great to hop onto another project, but it doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, my, my attitude has always kind of been to create opportunities for yourself whenever you can. And so, you know, even last year we shot a short film called Meeting Mommy. Yes. Uh, my partner and I. I bawled my <laughs> eyes out. I'm not going to lie. I was like, where's the other tissue? I, ne I needed more tissues. <laughs> hey, if you haven't seen it, you absolutely have to watch it. It is, like, brilliant. I'm not yeah, going to Yeah, that's right. It, and bring like, Kleenex. Yes. Tons of Kleenex. But tell me about what that experience was like, you know, writing it and producing it and starring in it with your partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty good. Like, we obviously... You know, any kind of creative process comes with its own kind of, uh, you know, creative tension. But I don't think we ever let that get in the way of kind of our relationship. So um, at the end of the day, we were super proud of what we came up with. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was Tina's first time kind of in that world as well, putting wow. on the kind of writer-producer hat. So I thought she did fantastic. Oh, and um, yeah, um, you know, since the shorts come out, it's really been like a success story for all short films. Because I don't think we ever expected that we would end up on a Wang Fu website, uh, <laughs> that the video would have over 400,000 views, that, you know, we would have gotten into film festivals kind of all around the country and the continent, really. Because mm -hmm. even earlier this month, uh, we were in New York showing it at the NBCU Shorts Fest, which is, wow. you know, such an amazing opportunity for us and really beyond our wildest expectations. Mm -hmm. But I think it really reaffirms this kind of idea that if you don't go and put it out in the universe, like, there's no... It's never going to happen for sure, exactly. right? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Just got to keep creating things. Definitely. Yeah. Now, um, going back to your, your on-screen um, mm -hmm. work, right? Um, Kim's Comedians. Obviously, like a huge, huge success for you. Mm -hmm. um, you've amassed like a huge follower and fan base. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like for me personally, uh, what I really love about the show is that it's a show that you can actually watch with your family and it's, mm -hmm. you know, intergenerational relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and But it's also like really accessible. Mm -hmm. What about the show to you do you think resonates most with people? Um, I think it's just... I always like to talk about how Canadian the show is because we all of the questions that we get from press is about how, you know, how important it is to have a show that features, you know, a Korean family and so my answer to that is that it features a Canadian family and mm -hmm. you know, this this idea of an immigrant family coming into this country um, kind of giving everything up for their kids and, and investing in their kids future um, I think that's so quintessentially Canadian. You know, we're a country that's, you know, our, our prime minister said it himself, that's strong because of our diversity. And it, it's, it's kind of woven into the fabric of our identity. Mm. And so I think the reason that it resonates so well with people is that, you know, really it's, it's this huge part of what it means to be Canadian that hasn't been touched on a whole lot in the past. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I've had, and, and this is so satisfying, but we have people who are not Korean, you mm -hmm. know, that will come up to us and say, Appa reminds me of my dad, or, you know, yes. when, the, when, when I see this dynamic on screen, it reminds me of my relationship with my father. And these are like, you know, Russians or Indian, Canadian, or, you know, from just literally all over. Yeah. And it really kind of hits home this idea that, you know, you don't, you, you don't have to be of a specific ethnicity in order to enjoy a story. No, absolutely right? not. And like the human experience, the human 
the, mm-hmm. the humanistic side of things is just it's universal. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It, it, family is universal, right? Mm-hmm. People understand these these challenges mm-hmm. and these types of relationships, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of questions from some Kimbits. Oh, I can't right? wait. Yeah. The Kimbit okay. questions. All right, those are always great. Alrighty. So Stephen wants to know how does it feel for you to be portraying an Asian man that is being coveted by a woman that is not Asian? <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, first of all, yeah, to be an Asian man coveted by anybody on television is kind of a new thing. I mean, we all know these like prime examples of, of Asian stereotypes in the past, but you have like Breakfast at Tiffany's. That wasn't even played by an Asian person, you know? You have Long Duck Dong, Sixteen Candles, like, that's kind of like the, the, the quintessential Asian man on screen over the last like 50 years, you know? And I think it's really exciting that in the very, very, very recent past, you know, we've started to see kind of a new kind of Asian man come up. And, and, it's, and it's about damn time, honestly. Because, yeah. you know, I think we have, we have just like an entire generation's worth of people who grew up in a society that kind of painted them in a certain way before even knowing them. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, if you walk down the street, even in Vancouver, there's tons of like really attractive Asian guys and attractive Asian girls, you know, they're just like, you know, attractive, athletic, sexy, whatever. And it's, it's mind boggling that that hasn't, you know, translated on screen. I think mm-hmm. when you talk about representation, you, you know, it's more than just about having you know, having the diverse faces. It's about accurately portraying them as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I'm happy to be a part of that conversation. I'm happy that Jung has, you know, is, is a just a regular guy who like dates, mm-hmm. you know, okay. like Asian people date. Yeah, believe it or not, folks. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, <laughs> and there's been, you know, there's been Grace Lee, who's who's uh, Korean, Canadian, and, and of course there's Shannon, there's a couple mm-hmm. of others that come in and out of his life, but you know, and. It, it's just it's just life yeah. for him and, and for his sister Janet. Yeah. Yeah. Both then, trying to figure it out. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a great response. I also yeah. have another funny question from um, Claudia. Okay. Um, not Asian, but she asked me on Instagram um, <laughs> okay. if you are accepting marriage proposals. And I was like, girl, I don't know. Like, he's got a girlfriend. so. <laughs> yeah, Claudia, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm spoken for, unfortunately. <laughs> or, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately for you. Yeah, unfortunately for her. Unfortunately for you. Yeah. How do? How have you been responding to? um, I guess some of the. uh, I guess, yeah, responses to Um, your your success (laughs) on screen, and um, I I gotta say, there's a lot of uh, shirtless photos. Um, There are a lot of shirtless photos, which is great, though, um, (laughs) for a lot of people. You're helping men and women. You know, I I thought you know I thought long and hard about how I was gonna represent myself online and. you know, I, I just think it's so, it's funny and it's kind of refreshing to kind of lean into this, uh, this kind of shirtless jump, shirtless simu sort of thing. It's just not something that we see that often. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think that Asian men deserve to be as vain and self-absorbed as the rest of them. Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know? and, and, and just the fact that, you know, the fact that we, we really don't have that kind of exposure in the world. Like, I'm happy to just contribute to that. It's like a space that, you know, like not a lot of people are in. So and I'm we like, thank you for your contribution. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's really hard. It's a, it's a huge personal sacrifice. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you got to work out a lot, right? So, on a different note, mm-hmm. uh, Mark <laughs> wants to know if you were to write one episode of Kim's Convenience, what would the episode be about? Interesting. Um, it'd probably be pretty Jung centric, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I have two. I, I have a couple of storylines that I like. We've been bugging. I mean, not just me, but the rest of the cast have been bugging our writers for. Like, we really, really want to do a holiday-specific episode. Oh yes. Right, like a Christmas or a Halloween or like even the, like. A, did you ever watch the OC? How they had Chrismica? Yeah, Chrismica. Yeah, but like, I love the OC. The like solid reference. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, um, we've always wanted to do like a holiday specific episode and then I've always kind of wanted to do one where somebody from Jung's past comes oh, back. Oh, Ghosts of Christmas Past Right, exactly. Ah, well, because okay. we, we kind of barely touch on the specifics of kind of where Jung came from, yeah. but we know that he was involved with some shady stuff. Mm -hmm. We know that he spent some time in juvie. Yeah. And, um, you know, we know that he's trying desperately hard to leave that life behind, right? And so I just think it'd just be such a, a you know, a funny and interesting situation to put him in if someone from his past were to kind of just reappear. Yes. And how he kind of navigate that. Does he, does he in some way miss that life or is he trying to, or is he trying like super hard just to pretend not to know that person or, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'd be excited to watch it though. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, no, that, uh, you've got my mind going. Better <laughs> happen. Let's campaign for this. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, should we give a, this episode a, a, a working title right now, or? Oh God, I think Ghost of Ghost of Jung's past is okay. I'm, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. So your character Jung has a challenging relationship with his appa, mm -hmm. his, his father. Mm -hmm. um, so I was doing some research and I saw a letter that you yourself, as Sibu, actually mm -hmm. penned mm -hmm. to your parents. Um, mm -hmm. The McLean's article. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you share this publicly through through McLean's and. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you can give us a little bit of a summary of your relationship with your parents and how perhaps it's transformed now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I think this is not a, a new story, right? Of, of growing up in a household where your parents are of a completely different, you know, generation, culture, um, set of norms, and everything. I mean, I mean, they grew up in in kind of like socialist China. And, uh, and, you know, when they came over here, raised me in a completely different environment. And so there was no, there was nothing that they could kind of carry over, even in language. Like I was, you know, I was raised speaking English and, and I also kind of made it a point to speak English at home, which mm -hmm. was, you know, which I deeply regret because my Mandarin is not where, where I would like it to be. Oh. It's, it's definitely fading. Um, but it was hard. It was hard. We clashed a lot, and of course we were going to clash. I mean, how like how could we not have? Yeah. You know. Um, and it was you know it was a really kind of turbulent childhood, like I described in the article. I won't go into too much detail now, you but if you want, yeah, you can uh, you can read the article on McLean's. But basically, you know, they had certain expectations for what I was going to become and and what my goals were going to be, and I, you know, growing up came to resent that expectation and. Um, but yeah, just growing up in a in a in an environment where you know I had all these expectations put on me by my parents, and it was very different from what I from what I wanted for my own life. Mm -hmm. And so, in a lot of ways, I I came to resent that expectation. I came to actively rebel against that expectation, and um, you know we fought pretty often. And um, of course, when I when I kind of came out to them as an actor, <laughs> came out as an yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. And it really was a coming out. Like I had to yeah. sit them down, and I was kind of like, "Yeah, this is what I'm doing now." Mm -hmm. um, you know, it didn't go very well initially. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of years later, I booked a show. I booked a show called Blood and Water, mm -hmm. in which I, I had a character that spoke Mandarin, and I kind of forced them to help me. And it was really the first time that um, that they kind of got a glimpse into kind of how hard we worked. Mm. and how much this took out of us and um, 
and they kind of slowly came to maybe not understand but respect my choice. Mm -hmm. And then um, around the time that Kim's Comedians came out, my mother turned 60. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the impetus for me writing this letter. Um, and it was so funny, like I wrote my mother a letter before McLean's ever contacted me to write a letter. Oh, okay. So I had a kind of a much longer, much messier version of this letter that I wrote to my mom for her 60th birthday. And, um, you know, it was just this idea that I had been carrying something with me, you know, throughout my whole life. And even though at that point, at the point of writing the letter, things were getting better between my parents and I, it was still like, it was a very fragile kind of piece, right? Yeah. You know that relationship that you have with your parents when you know that they're, you know, they're arguments and you're just trying to like dodge them. So every time you see them, you're just like, let's not talk about anything, you know, super deep. Let's just like get through the dinner and then smile and be polite yep. and that's it. And you know, that's, I don't think any, any way to have a, a proper relationship with your parents. Yeah. So I wrote the, I wrote the letter and I kind of, I kind of like got into it and I kind of said, this is the reason why I resented you when I was, when I was younger. And it really like, for me to be able to kind of be honest about my feelings, but at the same time, like to really recognize how much they sacrificed mm -hmm. just to come here and to build a future for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uh, trying to articulate all of these, these kind of complex feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so it's so funny. A few months later, McLean's was like, "We're doing a we're doing a series of of uh, pieces called Before You Go, where you um, where you write letters to loved ones yeah. um, about the words that you want to say to them, you know, before while you still have the opportunity to, yeah. right?" And that was exactly the the idea that that I approached writing writing this letter to my mother as well, because I was like, you know, you turn sixty. But that means that I think we still have, you know, so much time left to turn things mm -hmm. around. You know, mm -hmm. we have like I think upwards of 20 years even. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's really set a different tone for our relationship. And mm -hmm. even this past year, I took my mother out on a Mother's Day date. It was the first time oh. that the two of us had ever been just out together talking, mm -hmm. and it was so nice. It was like one of my, you know, to this day, it's one of my favorite like memories. That's amazing. Um, just to have that moment with her. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I know that a lot of you guys watching, just based on, you know, this is the Cold Tea Collective, mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, Asian Canadian issues. I know a lot of you guys watching, um, this will resonate with you because you do have these complicated relationships with your parents and, and it can be very, very difficult to talk to them. But I would just encourage you to kind of sit down and, 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 and think about how you know you would start to broach that conversation with them because you know taking that first step and being open and honest really like it, it will only benefit you you know even if that's not something that your parents are open to right away you know I think you should do it for you just because you know we grow up with all of these you know complexes because of the way that we're brought up and and it's not necessarily our parents' fault you know they're doing their best yeah. and they're figuring it out as they go and if you don't give them a chance to kind of you know, weigh in on their conversation, weigh in on, on you know, provide some sort of self-reflection in the way that they could have done things differently as well, then you have, you don't have that closure for yourself. So yeah, do it for yourself or do it for them, but um, I think you should definitely do it. Yeah. That's beautiful. How do you define success? How do I define success? Um, I think success is waking up every morning and feeling good about what you're going to do. That's success. Yeah. That's great. Um, when you're having a bad day, mm -hmm. what do you do to make it better? Um, I write. I write. 
I write about whatever it is that I'm mad about. I write about my anxiety, my insecurity, and I just I try to get it out of me. Yeah. That's great. Um, if you were to have a movie made about you and your life, okay. who would star playing you? What? Other me. than you. Other than you. Other than me. Yeah. Um, Hayden Cito. Hayden. He's a Vancouverite. I know, I know. Yes. I dropped that in there. Yes, yes. What up, Hayden? I know. Such a cool guy. Yes. Yeah. Um, soundtrack for your life, what would it be? Give me album or a song. Backstreet's back. I grew up in the age of boy bands, the golden oh. age of boy bands, oh. you know? Same, same. So. I was just going into the depths of the internet and I came okay. across this music video mm-hmm. um, uh, of you singing and dancing. It was a parody video. Was that actually you? That was you, right? Like, what? Okay, first of all, a, what music video uh, are you telling me? Better or? be vegetarian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, I was just like, yeah, that, that was me. Yeah, yeah. That was me. So what was what was that about? Okay, you have to, you just have to Google it. But I, um, <laughs> not my finest work. No, it's, uh, it's just a short film idea that one of my friends came up with, and so we were in the middle of shooting Kim's Convenience season two, and it was just like something different. So I took a weekend and we shot this like music video. Oh my god! Yeah, it was I so random it. and so funny, but yeah, it was a great experience. So good, because it said t- 2017. I'm like, I wasn't sure if it was actually like 2017. Right, 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 right. But like, okay, cool. No, that's great. Yeah, I think that speaks <laughs> to how important it is just to go out and create your own work. Yes. It was one of my friends literally just came up with it. Oh, that's so good. It, yeah. It's. I like died of laughter. It was so funny. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you could, I know, I know. Obviously, you sing as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You sing and you can dance. Obviously, I try. Yeah, I try. <laughs> I don't know moves. about can. <laughs> so singing, dancing, sports, um, and obviously acting. If you could mm-hmm. only do two for the rest of your life, what would they be? Oh wow! Not to limit you, but you know, if but you would be really good at them. You'd be like top at those two. Gotcha, You're gotcha. Like J Lo, except you know. See you. <laughs> gotcha. Well, it's tough. I mean, I have to pick acting because that's kind of my my bread and butter and my yeah. livelihood. So I feel like I should yeah. be really good at that. That makes sense. Um, and the second one, I would probably I have to choose between probably singing and sports. Mm. Just decide which one I want more. I probably want to be a basketball player more than I want anything yes. in life. So I'm yes. gonna pick sports. Cool. If you could give one pearl of wisdom to okay. our audience at Cool Feet Collective, what would that be? It could be anything of, like a life hack or something about like a like, like you know cleaning or like, <laughs> you know like health or fitness or whatever. Sure. Anything you want. Um, okay. I think about life in general. Um, don't be afraid to step into your light. For so long in my life, I kind of fought the urge to to kind of go into this industry. I never gave myself the permission to do it. But then once I finally stepped in, you know, I realized how dumb it was that I had been keeping myself from doing this this whole time. So I just think if you have something that you're, you're kind of, you know that you want to do, but you're trying to suppress it within yourself, I'm saying like, you need to give yourself that permission. Like, don't be afraid to step into the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank That's you. Oh, well, thank you again so much, Simu, for thank you for all your time me. here. Um, Cold Tea Collective, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. coldteacollective.com. And thank you so much to Buns and Boa for this amazing space and the amazing food delicious. and drinks. Yeah. So good. You got to check it out. Um, as well as thank you to our production team, Milton and Dylan, for all of your help as well. Shout out to the production team. All right. Thank you so much. See you guys next time, I guess. Peace.